0: Hello everybody, Uh, it's just before 11 o'clock on Friday morning and uh, we're here to share with you another study of the Word of God. Um, This one is going to come with a little more background before we actually get into Scripture uh, because I think it's imperative that we understand where we are, why we're there, what's going on in our world today that is leading us there and so uh we want to well uh wish a very happy birthday to uh, Joy today and uh, we want to uh, say that the picture of uh, uh, mckenna uh, with the newborn was absolutely tremendous we we love you all and appreciate you So I want you to contact me at springston5060gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel Direct Messaging. Remember to purchase my book at Amazon or in your local bookstore, I Surrender. And uh, so let's get into the Word of God uh, and see what we can find out. Our topic today is Understanding Acts Chapter 2. That's going to be very interesting. Father, we ask you to open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us, and then uh, may uh, we apply it to our lives and be changed into the image of your dear Son. We ask that you would speak to us, Jesus, show us what we need to know, do understand, and demonstrate And from there, we'll receive it and release it to your people. We ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. So let's begin. Opinions and ideas, they come to us with relative ease because they require nothing more than, uh, in most cases, a topical understanding of the situation and then uh, the ability to say, well, this is what I think. But to develop answers, well, my friends, that takes time. To develop correct answers is even more involved. You keep that in mind as we go through this. During the last few days, I've seen a few video messages that describe The opinions and the ideas and the conclusions of some concerning the infilling of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And they have devised that message into the reason that many people have decided to leave the church. Well, that didn't sound right to me. So, I said to myself, that messaging is very interesting. So I began to do a little look into it. Do you know that less than 13% of the entire church population worldwide believes in the practice of the gifts of the Spirit? So somehow, I find it highly unlikely that any concerns about how one practices his belief system with respect to the operations of the Spirit, would be a reason to drive people away from church. Uh, Upon what might I base that statement? Well, very simply, there are plenty of churches uh, virtually on every corner that do not believe in the practice of the gifts of the Spirit and certainly do not speak in tongues. Uh, So if you're not interested in that practice, then... Uh, And if you are interested in attending church, really, and desire to go to church, then you simply attend one that matches your belief system. The idea of locating a church with comfortable beliefs really isn't a big deal in the modern church world. You can locate fundamentalist churches, traditional churches, contemporary churches, and a combination of both of these based upon service times. You can locate Bible-based churches. You can locate social-based churches. You can locate churches that see people and people groups from the perspective of being an all-inclusive group where they uh, make great statements about drawing circles. Um, Then you can find those other churches that are a bit more structured and maybe associate their messaging a little bit more with biblical teaching, um, one can find if you if you're really interested in church, one can find denominations that propose worship in multiple, very much multiple, and often very much contrasting formats. So, options for church attendance, my friends, are unlimited. To characterize the people as having only two options makes absolutely no logical sense. In other words, they're saying that either you practice tongues or you don't believe that and you sit at home. And that really is nonsensical in today's church climate. Of course, unless your goal is not to show the reasonable cause and effect, but to take a swipe at Scripture and to interject your own intellectual design and desire into the conversation. Now, this never addresses the real messaging that could be pointed to that does, in fact, have direct implications on why people refuse organized evangelical association today. Um, This reason is certainly not that they've been told the messaging of grace and the belief uh, that if you were saved in church, you're always saved, uh, and your actions have no impact or influence about how grace is going to operate in your life. Or the messaging that says that the love of God is superior, and His love for you will be more than enough, uh, and that when the end time comes, He's going to take you to heaven. Um uh, It's not the opportunity to remain at home and use social media even and see church at your leisure. Hi, Joe. So what is the real reason that people don't have interest in attending church, even those who were brought up in church? Why do they tend to avoid coming to church? Now, this next statement is going to come across as an opinion, uh, but I'm going to develop the the reason for the whole conversation as we go through avoidance becomes the break in norms of which they grew up with in essence it becomes a rebellion of sorts against the family and their parents they seize the opportunity to make this statement to their parents i'm going to do life my way i'm going to do it as i choose and I will raise my children under the values and morals that I think are appropriate. The effect, of course, becomes, I Joyce, coalescing to a narrative of their day that has produced a very negative overtone concerning the evangelical crowd. Doesn't matter what evangelical crowd you are of, it just is a matter of if you are a member of an evangelical crowd. It is distancing themselves from the ones of whom the culture speaks in such unflattering terms. The conversation that's been produced by those who speak of the evangelicals, uh, uh, all cropped in together as being Christians, is very negative. And that negativity has influenced the social temperament of those who are choosing to exercise their options to remain separate from what would be traditional church. It's the messaging that includes conversation uh, concerning the need for those who are in disagreement with the agenda of the day, which we would call progressive or liberal, that conservative Christians need to be required to be reeducated. These are often, uh, there are many other reasons, I'm sure, why people are leaving the church as well and and they're placed in a uh, uh, an environment in our current society that has two things associated with it that we might as well identify. One of them is guilt, guilty by association. The other is fear-mongering. That, those messaging concerns... Uh, are all about how the church views God and his word. So to distance themselves from that and to protect, if you will, themselves from being on the wrong side of the narrative, well, uh, association and attendance with church as we knew it must be eliminated. Of course, this is how democracy works in our day. Because the way we are producing our uh, uh, language of democracy brings us almost into the concept of totalitarianism. Uh, The evangelical is bad, and those who are not are good. How did this happen? Well, it all happened because of a word that's being used that nobody understands and that everybody looks at and says yeah that's right that, that is you know we do not want to mess with democracy but yet this country is not a democracy it is a republic it is a republic therefore when the term democracy is constantly promoted into the mind into the psyche And into the understanding of of America. That messaging in and of itself. Becomes the elimination of the evangelical lifestyle. The Christian lifestyle. And the elimination of God. So when we hear them say. Whomever them is. Concerning democracy. We know Exactly why the church is in decline. We know it. It takes nothing more to be said. That word is the prime word in our world today that the general population in America is misunderstanding. That is the word that is driving people away from the church. The evangelical to them is a threat to that democracy that they intend to make happen in this country. In order to do so, the messaging of the church must be eradicated. This is unfortunate, but based upon the language that's being used to describe where we're going, there's no other means for consideration. The language speaks the words that are giving us the picture. We just don't understand it. We want to blame spiritual things for the occurrences that are happening from the language of the intellect of man. So the narrative itself becomes more than the younger generation can endure because they have a lot in their mind as they see it, writing on how they are perceived in the society. You can fill in the blanks now concerning what they perceive that they may have to lose. The messaging is the real issue as to why our churches seem to be aging. Now I want to say that one more time. The messaging is the real reason why our churches seem to be aging. You see, we have done the grace thing and we've told people that you can sin and go to heaven. We've done the love thing and we've told people that God loves you too much to send you to heaven. Uh, (laughs) we've, We've done all of the various doctrinal things that try to make this life easy. But in reality, what is happening in our world has very little to do with any of that. It has to do with the way the messaging is being brought forward and the understanding of that messaging. So we're aging in the church. We're aging. Why? Because the aged understand the difference between the language of democracy and republic. We understand that. The young don't. And therefore, we are seeing diminishing Returns in the church Well Is the church dying People are dying But the church of God will never die The church of God will never die It will never go away until Jesus Christ returns So the the people in the church are dying Jesus said they would die from the very beginning (laughs) But The church of Jesus Christ will never die. You cannot eradicate it. You will not eradicate it. And countries that have attempted to eradicate it have been unsuccessful in doing so. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Well, we'll get into that a little bit more deeply. Now, little do they know that there is a possibility, a probability, and an, in in fact, certainty of spiritual action and activities on the behalf of the faithful that is going to be a far greater reward than making the attempt to go along to get along. If we live, we live as unto Christ. If we die, we die as unto Christ. The rewards are unlimited. The beautiful part of it is, as we're going to see during this study, that the absolute glory of the lord has been prescribed for us has been presided as being given to us and then been purposed into us if we understand the holy spirit and his infilling correctly well I want you to remember something about Scripture. It's very important. The Jews were facing this exact same situation. When Jesus was born, they were under the law of Herod. And Herod was crazy. Herod was a man that that was unpredictable. And he was so unpredictable that the Jewish people determined that when they saw all of the prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, they saw the star. And they knew that, that this one that was prophesied was about to be born. They did absolutely nothing. They saw the signs, they saw the prophetical, and it was all coming together. But the Jews remained silent. Why? Because of the unpredictability of the ruler of their day. Think about that. We in America are doing the same thing. We are trying to, uh, in many cases, there's a generational gap and we are trying to remain silent because of the unpredictability of the activities of our day. What happened? Well, they remain attached to their own beliefs, and I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. The Romans crucified their Messiah with their blessing. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. or C.E., the common era. So the very ones to whom they were trying to get along with destroyed their city and tore down their temple. What a message. Thank God. That God had determined the means to allow His church to continue to do and to teach the things that He began to do and to teach. What was that means? It was with those to whom the Holy Spirit had been transferred. To them that had literally received the glory of the Father as I'm going to share with you during this study. So now we know why the church required the promise of the Father. Why the Jews, the apostles, the 120, required this infilling of the Holy Spirit? Because there was going to be a time when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, overrun, and the Jew was going to be dispersed. Now we know what Jesus meant when he told the apostles in Acts chapter 1, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We know what caused that. He knew what was about to befall Jerusalem and the Jewish people. He knew that as they fled, they would have to have the Holy Spirit to minister to them in every region of the world of which they were dispersed, And he knew that the power of the one who was another, just like him, was the answer. So as they were forced to do what he told them they would be forced to do in Matthew chapter 4, 24 rather. This is what he said. And the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth let him understand it happened in seventy Common Era. Jerusalem was destroyed. He said then let him flee in the Judea Mount, flee unto the Mount of Judea. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes, and warn unto them that are with children and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no ever shall be." And except those days shall be shortened, there shall be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Jesus is speaking here concerning the message and how the message is going to be spread. It had to go throughout the world. But Jewish people, when Jerusalem comes under siege and when Judea is attacked, flee to the mountains. Come out of her. Come out of your houses and go. Go. Do not turn back. Look back. The Jewish people will suffer the great tribulation and persecution that's going to be severe. If Jesus does not shorten that day, the days of the Jewish people would have been wiped out. Thank God he did. All of the persecution, the means of elimination, and the abject poverty that mankind could inflict upon the Jews did not destroy them. As well as all the attempts that they're doing in our day will not destroy them. Why? Because simply they are the elect. Now, for these same, uh, for from these came at least we can count in the first four chapters, uh, ten thousand people that we can identify in those first four chapters of Acts that received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and and as you know. Uh, many more. Acts chapter 2 verse 47 said, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So there is no means to accurately portray exactly how many were filled with the Spirit uh, and that experience that occurred because of what was begun In Acts chapter 2 verses 1-4 through Suffice it to say there were many Suffice it to say that as the fall of Jerusalem drew near The number also grew Suffice it to say that as they were dispersed The messaging concerning the infilling of the Spirit Went into every household, every hamlet, every village, every city, every town And every community, and every region of the world By the way This was the exact means of reproduction that happened across the United States. It came from the Azusa Street Revivals. It went after the order of the means that the Jews spread the gospel. It eventually arrived in a little town called Falcon, North Carolina. and From there, the various names and denominations of Pentecostal organizations were brought forward. God had seen the preparation of the Jews spiritually because he knew that those to whom they were living under were going to rise up and destroy the very things that the religious order of the day held dear. They were going to destroy the very things that they had put their faith in. They were going to destroy the very things that they had built to be able to live and be among those who were ultimately going to tear down their temples and instill their own belief system. We don't understand it today. We don't see it today. We think that the messaging today is going to go in a direction that is, will fall in line with the general tenor of the messaging and the narrative we're trying to speak. But just like Israel, we will find out that that message will be disregarded and the outcome will be devastating. And those who went along, will find out that the real messaging will become a message of which did not put you, did not place you, and did not give you the things that you are perceiving that your justice, social justice system is going to give you. What a sad narrative. See the message in this, my friends. The ones that held Israel and the world in spiritual contact with God, the God of their creation, was the one who was having the foresight to release the Holy Spirit. Think about that. That Holy Spirit was His promise that was sent into the earth. Many of them accepted that. They took that promise and preached it and taught it until the message reached everywhere that had been instructed by Jesus Christ for that message to go. Did they personally go to the ends of the earth? No, but their message did. They didn't set foot in every country and tell everyone themselves of the infilling of the Spirit or of what Christ had done for them? No, but as the message spread and grew by those who were filled with the message, The plan and the divine design of Jesus Christ as a member of the Godhead bodily was accomplished and the exact instructions of Jesus Christ was brought to bear. Now, why is this a promise and to whom does the promise go to? Now, we know that Joel prophesied concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit. He indicated to whom the Holy Spirit would come. So a prophecy is the foretelling of information that, in effect, is promised by prophecy. We know that John the Baptist did the same thing. We also know that Jesus taught that he would send the Comforter and that he wouldn't leave him comfortless. But where do we identify that the Father was engaged and engaging something that would be promised? Jesus told us a number of times when he qualified the glory of his Father as being produced as a stamp of approval upon his ministry. Now, I'm going to close this session with this. Peter preached Jesus Christ from that very angle in Acts 2.22. He said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye you yourselves also know. The Father had promised that he had glorified Jesus and that he would glorify him again. That promise occurred, and Jesus was identified as such by Peter. In Acts 2 and 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now hear and see. Now, my friends, what we are seeing here and what we are about to unfold in your hearing is the ministry of the glorifying of Jesus Christ from the glory of the Father. We are going to see how God sent His glory into mankind to prepare mankind for the events, the times, and the needs that lay ahead. He has already been seen to have done so with Israel concerning the fall of jerusalem and i'm going to show you how the glory of the lord has been sent that began with acts chapter 2 and has been misunderstood misrepresented misidentified inaccurately taught and you're going to see some things in this that are going you're going to literally shake your head at and say let me read that again Father, I pray that you will minister to your people, that you'll open our eyes that we can see and our ears that we can hear and our heart that we can understand. Show us, Father, in your word truth. Father, if we will bring truth, then there will be no means to deny truth unless in the intellect the choice is made to do what Israel did and deny it Because they think it's in their best benefit. But Father, we know truth. And the Holy Ghost is the one that will lead us out of devastation. I praise you for it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. I saw many of you on here. I mentioned many. Sharon, Betty, I see you. God bless you for being here. We'll be back tomorrow with part two of this message of correctly understanding Acts chapter 2. May God richly bless you is my prayer. Find him as Lord. There you'll find him as the one who will lead you and guide you and direct you into all truth. Find him as Lord and he'll lead you into the new covenant. Find him as the man in the Godhead and he'll lead you into all truth. God bless you until we speak again.